You are listening to the Coming Up for Air podcast hosted by Air Moms Lori McDougall and Annie Highwater. This podcast is sponsored by alliesinrecovery.net. Coming Up for Air brings together two wonderful people, both of whose adult sons are in recovery from opiate addiction. Annie Highwater and Lori McDougall have both been through years of their loved one's active addiction. They've experienced all the difficult emotions, the guilt, the anger, the fear, the shame, the exasperating arguments, highs and lows, crises and relapses. They have come to understand the direct link between taking care of yourself and being able to help your loved one. They have shepherded their loved ones toward treatment. Their sons are both in recovery today. During these conversations, Lori and Annie address the questions and concerns brought up by Allies in Recovery members. And now, Coming Up for Air with Lori McDougall and Annie Highwater. New episode on Coming Up for Air. Uh, So Lori McDougall here uh, with Annie Highwater. And we've got my husband, Trevor. Hi, Trev. Hello. Hello, everybody. Good afternoon. <laughs> Hello. Um, Welcome to Coming Up for Air. No, <laughs> oh, thank you. Glad to be here. I could um, use some air. <laughs> <laughs> Today, we are talking about divisions and dysfunction, all sorts of different types of divisions that we experience when going through crises and trying to deal with uh, substance use. Annie, I'll, I'll um, kind of hand it over to you a little bit. I, I don't know if you want to talk yeah. about it a little bit. or. Um, I will say just because we experienced such an unusual um, situation and an um, unusual amount of, dis- of division. So I was going to title this podcast, A House Divided Stands No Chance. <laughs> and I think it pertains to... Um, Division is really a problem anyway when you have a situation because that's when manipulation can get in, when there are sides and division and disagreement. But when you have a situation where addiction is in play and it's active, wherever the division is, you're going to be run against each other. Everyone's going to get played against each other and it's going to move everyone into a place of distraction and conflict while the addiction continues to rage. And we definitely experience that and you get nowhere when that addiction is going. Um, Whether it's a blended family and you're divided about how to handle it because the emotions are different, or it's a husband and wife who are divided because one's good cop, bad cop, or you're divorced and you're blaming each other, the situation is caused by you or your family is is like the situation. Whatever the case may be, um, I just really wanted to zone in on different types of division. I've had a lot of people bring the topic to me and the the different solutions for it or steps we can take to kind of overcome it or prevent it sounds good and and i um i wholeheartedly believe uh in what you're talking about that um there is all sorts of division uh that comes with this disease that comes with other types of crises as well um and i think that um one good thing is I think we're in a unique position in that um, we've discussed it a little bit in the past, but even though you were divorced from your husband, you guys stayed pretty tight um, and were kind of u- very unified when it came to this particular topic, and, and um, which I think is great. And I think it's a good example 
um, that you can see that you can have divorce, right? You can, you can have um, that kind of separation, but you can still stay united. Um, yet I think my husband and I had a different situation where we're still married. We stayed together through, the, um, through everything, through thick and thin. Um, and we struggled with uh, being on the same page and not being divided. And we definitely did see a lot of that manipulation coming in and us being played against one another. Um, we, certainly we've had, um, we've had times when we were united and we were on the same page, but I would say for the most part, um, we weren't, we were struggling with this. Um, and so we did see that manipulation come into, um, come into play. Um, I definitely, I know uh, there's blended family situations where a stepchild becomes addicted and the natural parent is fighting for this kid's life and, and you know, in a lot of pain and heartache and panic urgency over it. And then the other parent who's, they sometimes take a position of what have I got myself into? Or this not, better not affect my kids or kind of a position of disconnect. And I know that causes a lot of division as well. I've had a lot of those things brought to my attention and I think that's a work in progress as well. Um, I've certainly been in a long-term relationship myself. I don't typically like to open up too much about the personal side of my life, but I want to just say when it has come to that, I never felt judged or looked down on or like there was any t type of a tainting on me or my son um, or that we were treated any different. I felt, I felt such a lack of judgment that it was really kind. Um, I sometimes perceived, and that was probably my own opinion, that maybe his extended family or people in his life looked at the situation once they became aware of it, like, oh, what is, you know, what is, what is he involved himself in? What are you bringing around? What must she be like if she has this kid addicted to pills or, you know, whatever the case may be? And that could have been my own paranoia, but I can say within the home and my relationship, he was not my son's father. Um, he loved him unconditionally anyway. They never had words or conflict. And I appreciate that, but I know a lot of blended situations that that is not the case. There's almost, uh, it becomes an us and them mentality. Right, right. And, and I, I see that as pain, well. I would believe. That would yeah. Pain. yeah, I see that as well. I, I've had quite a few friends um, or families that I've, I've um, you know, been in contact with and tried to help and um, similar situations, uh, not as, not as uh, good a situation, I think, that, that you were in where, um, where the uh, step-parent or the boyfriend or the girlfriend did question, what did I get myself into, but also um, doesn't have that connection with the kid Right. Right. Doesn't just doesn't feel the same way about that, um, the child. And so it's really, really difficult for them to um, be sympathetic. And I don't want to say I don't want to say it. Maybe empathetic as well. Understanding, yeah. understanding and compassionate. Probably right. a little right. harder because the fear comes in. Are my kids going to get involved? Are my kids going to be stolen from or hurt or around? you know, frightening, threatening situations, those fears all come in. And um, I think a lot of my situations that having unity with my ex-husband and not having relationships close to me that were uh, dysfunctionally judgmental has a big part to do with the fact that I was in such a death lock struggle with my mom that anybody close to me, I had to make aware, 
you know, before you are even a friend in my life, you have to be aware of these things are going on. I don't need to disclose it to the world, but you need to be aware. This is what you're going to see. This is the effect you're going to see it have on me. And this is how you're going to see me handle it. I'm probably going to immediately call a therapist on speed dial. <laughs> I'm going to melt down. You know, I, I had to be very open and transparent and real about it. I never tried to hide it as much as I didn't try to present it. I was just real and open. And I think that helped my ex-husband and I just being real and transparent with each other. I, we always say we were divorced. We weren't divided. We were less divided than a lot of married couples. So with that, let's we'll give get, him a call. Make sure that you guys can hear him well. We'll get, we'll get Trevor talking too. Yeah. Hello. Okay. Let me yeah. see if, if everyone can hear you. Hi. Hi. Oh yes, definitely. Yeah. I'm good. Okay. Um, so Elliot, this is Lori McDougal and her husband Trevor are on the line and this is our podcast welcome to coming up for air we're talking about a house divided stands no chance and we're talking about our lack of division and the division you and I battled through our divorce from Elliot's childhood all the way up into his addiction so we're going to ask you questions okay. and feel free to talk about whatever okay hi guys uh, nice to meet you nice to meet you Nice to meet you as well. <laughs> can you hear them as well? Yes, I can. Okay, let's get started. Okay. So, so. Questions for him, but um, one <laughs> thing that I always say is that, again, we were divorced, we were not divided. And we did ball games together. There was not drama in the bleachers. There was not, um, we might have had skirmishes here and there and certainly the early years of divorce. But once we made peace and put him at the forefront of, his well-being matters more than our feelings toward each other. His well-being matters more than our history or any issues we could have. We were really united. Um, we did holidays and birthdays as a family. We didn't have a lot of feuding. Yeah. So that helped. I think that was an, an urgent need in the early, early years because my mother meddled so bad. She really had a, a bit of a sick obsession with our son and would get him out of consequences and pick him up when he was grounded and sneak him to a friend's house, you know, when he was 10. So we battled this for so long that we were forced to unite. So I don't know that it was admirable as much as it was necessity, but it surely well, worked. Well, can I, can I just ask you? Admirable, on, yeah, on your part, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, can I, can I just ask how you did that? Um, because I know your mother was, um, you know, a difficult force uh, to be dealing with when you when you guys were in the middle of a of a crisis. So, um, I, how did you do that? Like, how did you come to the conclusion that okay, we're gonna we're gonna be united in this? It, it, like, did you have a plan? Were you uh, making phone calls and updating him and him we were, calling we were you? Just in, we were in constant communication because we were constantly dealing with her. So sometimes he would say let me try to talk to her. And I would say, well, you know, it's going to, you're going to argue with her for two hours and she'll spin you all over the place. You'll never get anywhere. So do you want to give your take on this about, we never really came up with a plan so much as we just had to, it, we were just put into action with against her division. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, actually, um, it, you know, it wasn't like it was anything new. Even when we were still together, we were battling this with her, not on this level, um, but there was just such intrusion uh, from her part. I think it was just kind of common knowledge between us that uh, he was going to have any kind of mental health or any kind of chance that he had to be separated from her. Okay, that that kind of make that that makes a huge amount of sense to me. That 
it, you know, it, it's, it's interesting hearing this because um, maybe that's why um, it might have been difficult for Trevor and I to be on the same page because we didn't have something to unite us, right? Something to say, oh my gosh, this is not good. Um, we were just kind of going along as parents, right? And things just happened, right? So yeah, that kind of makes sense to me. Well, we, I went through a kind of, it's in, detailed in my book, Unhooked. I went through a bit of a scapegoating, um, um, almost a target child syndrome from her where she would have people gang up on me and they would believe her. And one thing that bound um, my ex-husband and I together was that he saw the truth of that. I had one or two other family members that after a while saw it. He saw it quickly, what the manipulation and that people were believed against me and that I could do no right. Everything I said was held against me as wrong, even if I was in the right. So he was on board really early with having my back. And I think we lasted probably a little longer than we should have because we both knew I was going to go right into the lion's den, having to go back to her, my parents' house to get on my feet. And we tried to make it work, even though I just wanted to kill him by the time we got divorced. I think we held on because it was giving her victory over our lives and she, my son would be in her midst again. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, um, you know, like I said, it was the one area of common ground I would say that we had as we went through the divorce, even though it was, you know, better during that time, Elliot was still first and foremost. And, uh, and, and, you know, that was something that we could rally behind. It was really enough of a rally point to where it overcame all the negativity that we had, uh, you know, as we were separating. There were many times that we would be really bad at odds and really spewing nasty at each other but i could still we had this safety zone that it wasn't conscious but we just had it where i could still call him and say get this and it would be an update on my mom or a family member and he would just get it and then it was almost like we'd go right back to scrapping right right yeah it was almost like a white flag immediately came out between us as, as soon as something um you know came together to, to threaten elliot yeah. right it's really interesting <laughs> Yeah, maybe just, uh, um, I guess, from my perspective, right, I, and Larry may have a little different perspective, I'm sure, but I think that, you know, we had a lot less kind of um, divisive dynamics going on and, um, you know, thought, you know, we generally had a very strong relationship in marriage for a long time and a lot of a lot of good family members in our life. Um, and it was still extremely hard and challenging, right? Um, I think that, you know, when you get into this, um, you want to rely on your natural instincts a lot. And I think as time went along, uh, became less trustful of what those natural instincts are and, and humility really kicks in pretty quick and, uh, you know, bring, brings you down to ground pretty quickly. And, and you realize that I have to uh, be open-minded and learn a lot here because this is really complicated and new ground. I have no idea what I'm doing. Um, and it's really serious. It's, it's, uh, it's a life and death situation. Uh, so I need to, uh, you know, I need to kind of open up my mind here and, and realize uh, 
um, what the best plan is and take advice and, and just get educated and again just uh, you know be humble and and uh, you know when they're smaller and things are going on you it's uh, you rely on your natural instincts again a lot and it's just a matter of just kind of love and compassion and that gets you through a lot um, and that's not enough in, in these situations so I think even with with a lot of overlap and we always had, I believe, we always from day one we had the same, the same goal um, of of trying to save him and trying to get him to be healthy and and happy and and have a life. Um, so I don't I don't think we ever differed on that. And even with all that overlap, there's just uh, there's just division, right? Uh, because you're you're just naturally you're different people. And you have different experiences and different instincts, and you want to do things differently, um, you know. Uh, and and you resonate with different parts of uh, of your child's personality, right? Um, and so those things kick in and and start tugging on your heartstrings, and and that's going to pull you in a certain direction pretty quickly. And and that's different for different people. So you you have to, I, I guess, just um, communicate a lot. Um, <laughs> I would say. Uh, and, you know, looking back, I, I wasn't all these things, so I, I'm always great at giving advice, not always great at practicing it, um, but definitely, you know, be open-minded and and uh, be humble that you don't know, have to know everything, the right things to do here, because it's a really, really, really tough problem, really, really tough challenge, um, and you're not supposed to, I don't think, know the right answers. And so you, you need to learn those and you need to be willing to admit that you don't know them um, and be able to uh, kind of go out and, and do the best you can um, and, you know, continue to find what the common ground is and, and what those priorities are, right? And it really is, you'll find out that everybody really wants, you know, the health and, and happiness of your child. I think all the parents want that. Um, they just don't exactly know how to get there in these and get through these challenges so uh, like I said I guess just you know with everything with a lot of overlap and, and a lot of good people in our lives it's still um, there's still division no matter what yeah and, and I do I mean just to kind of just to kind of piggyback on that a little bit is that um, I think we did have division Trevor I I think um, early on we had division about how to handle him because we've talked about this as well in the podcast that he also um, suffers from some mental health issues. So um, he had bipolar long before addiction uh, came into the picture or substance use came into the picture. And, um, and I think we struggled to deal with that and had different, different ideas and different um, concepts of what that was. I think when, um, we started to deal with this crisis, we were divided as parents. And I think there was manipulation going on. I think I was the, you know, we did the good cop, bad cop kind of thing. Yes. I was, right, I was the bad one. Yeah. I was the one who challenged him. I was the one who was absolutely not. Um, and you were the one that he knew. He knew he could go to you and he could get you to do what he wanted. Um, and I think that it wasn't until, um, and, and I'll tell you this, one thing that kept us together 
was that I always knew, um, I always knew that what Trevor was doing was because it was, it, it was because he was so worried that he might hurt him. And he, if he did something, it might, it might ultimately hurt him in the long run. So because of that, um, that insecurity or that, you know, I don't know if this is the right way to go. I just, I just can't do it until I'm absolutely sure it's the right thing to do. Um, he, I knew that he, that's what he was struggling with in his head. It wasn't that he didn't love our son and it wasn't that he didn't love me. It was that he was just so petrified of doing the wrong thing uh, that would have such horrible consequences. But it wasn't until I said to him, I said, um, I said, you, you, it has to change. We have to get on the same page because if we don't, he's going to die. And it was that it was, it, it was, I could see, I could see the change in his face when it was like, oh, I get it. And then we started to really become united and, uh, you know, discussing it together and trying to figure it out as a team. Right, because you have to fill in the gaps of that division because wherever there is a crack of division, it is that addiction, that disease is so wicked that it's going to get in with any crack and it's going to explode. That's just how it works. It works on division. It works against truth and it works against peace and logic. It's cunning, powerful, and baffling. And you, I mean, it's going to come after the division. Right. And manipulation is a nasty, nasty thing. Um, I'm so thankful to have not had division with my ex-husband, but my mother, I don't know what her motives were. I know a lot of parents are divided because one has more of a bleeding heart than the other. In my mother's case, she's very sick with codependency and addiction. Mm -hmm. um, she's always been a really churchy lady. She's not somebody who's run around and gone to bars or anything like that. She doesn't even cuss, but she is frantically addicted to prescription pills. Mm -hmm. We never really could get to the bottom of her motive it was just constant division and one-upping. And she would tell my son sometimes, she would try to ask him if he would have recurring memories of that one of us had abused him. And maybe that why it was why he had gotten addicted to the pills that, you know, a doctor prescribed him and he, the very natural course, he got addicted and dependent upon them. Right. But she was constantly, I mean, what do you think her motive was? She was constantly trying to usurp our authority. And what would you say? Big, you know, senior. Well, I, you know, the only, I, I wish that I could put a, a finger on what her motive was. I, I really do. I, you know, I've tried to explain this to people before, uh, to define your mother, and uh, I don't think a lot of people really even believe me or, or fathom the reality of how horrible what, what she was truly like, because no one would believe it. She's such this little ain't be type character. Uh, she's soft-spoken and sweet and and little and cute and has this cute little voice and she could recite the Bible to you. And then behind the scenes, if she's sneak, you know, we'd have to get her removed off of a uh, uh, parental list at Elliott school because she would come take him out of school when he didn't have his homework done. You know, that was just a constant cushion from circumstances. And then it developed beyond that into something so unhealthy and, and, and sick. Um, well, I don't know how far you guys want to, to dive into this, but I could tell you some stories that, you know, and, and, and almost embarrassed to 
tell these because people, but you know, they probably think, how in the world did you allow him to still be around her? But I, you know, I think to to set the table, you have to understand that we were so young, mm-hmm. and we didn't have a strong supportive family group. It was me and, and Annie, and that was it. And uh, you know, coming against this, and, and really, we didn't know what steps to take. We knew it was wrong. We, you know, we had these uh, these huge red flags that would fly up as, as he was being raised. But then there was always kind of she was she's really good at putting a, a that's a normalcy on it too and, and making you look like you're mm-hmm. insane for questioning. Well, the contradictions was, uh, very maddening. The contradictions were and, and I see a lot of that. It's so sick when you're dealing with deception and alcoholism and addiction and mental health and all of that. The deception goes so deep and the justification almost has a blindness to it to where um, there's a contradiction to where sometimes, you know, she wouldn't, she would really harshly judge anybody that cussed, but yet she will buy illegal pills, you know, pills illegally right. and would lie. She'll lie straight to your face. And when you catch her in that lie and you prove it, you caused her to lie. You somehow caused her to lie. So the deception it was, was yes. And it, but, I mean, that's common with conflict in the midst of addiction anyway. Right. And it wasn't until later years that we even knew to call her an addict. We just knew she was on a lot of prescriptions and she, we constantly were in argument right. with her. But that, that doesn't that tell you, doesn't that tell you that, I mean, that's addiction. Yes. I don't think she needs motivation. Right. Like, like my husband being motivated right. out of love. I don't think your mother needs motivation she's she's suffering from substance use disorder and that's crazy it's crazy right the logic behind it is just there isn't any and it comes across so sweet and so i mean she's believable people people go to her for counsel right so so sick but But i bet you i bet you if you ask her what her motives were she couldn't tell you um, she just can't really. Well, she doesn't believe she's done anything wrong. She right. really doesn't. And anything she's done wrong, you caused her to do it wrong. So she's right. Still right. It's all your fault. <laughs> right. But so isn't that yeah. isn't that the same as as what our sons would do? It's your fault. It's somehow your fault. Yeah, but I think I'm I'm almost thankful at this point. I never want to go through the dynamics of that again because it was a. It was a cage match yeah. UFC fight every day with her. One of us would have it. We'd be copied on emails or on the phone or we just constantly tried to break through. And that's where we got sick because we didn't realize she's never going to be able to get it. There's never going to be a breakthrough, sure. but it really forced us out of dysfunction and conflict with each other to where we couldn't, we didn't have loyalty to family members. We had loyalty to the truth. Right. I couldn't, I couldn't right. just say, well, yeah. it's my mom and that's how she is because it didn't matter how she was. This was a crisis and it was life and death and she was opposing the truth. So we, we decided whoever, it's not about loving a person and being loyal to the person. It's about siding with what's right, what's fair and what's the truth. And that was what really, I, we started making a lot of progress when we dealt with it that way because we didn't just baby situations or have as much emotion involved because it was logic based on truth. It forced us out of emotion and conflict. Right. And, and, you know, um, also very, go ahead, Ellie. I was just going to say, she was also very good at, at breaking me out of that. Uh, you know, that, that's a mindset we try to stick to, but she, she was real good at using, uh, you know, like my shortcomings to make yeah. me second guess myself quite a bit as she was a master at it. Right. right. I was young and, and dumb made big mistakes myself. So, uh, you know, it was easy for us to do. And, you know, I, I think that, it, 
but you know what? It was almost, I hate to say this, but almost the saving grace that Annie and I didn't have strong positive influences elsewhere. The people that were supposed to be, like the church, so on and so forth, they kicked us when we were down more than anybody. Um, and so, you know, even though we despised each other at one point in our lives, we were still forced to come together for, for yeah. you know, the good of our son. Yeah, you needed each other. Yeah, and where that yeah. division was resolved and where we were strong in our unity, he couldn't get through. And he will even to this day say, I had very intelligent parents when it came to deception and dishonesty. I had to step up my game and manipulate at a master level. Hmm. And so he, I mean, he knew that because your disease makes you, you will pull out all stops and go to any lengths to get your next fix because you're desperate, like for oxygen. It right. would, he would know, I'll, I will tell my grandma, one of them has done something to hurt my feelings and she will go after them. And right. he would use her against us, or he would say, my dad hurt my feelings. Um, so then she would give him money or a place to stay, and we would pull our hair out. And then he would repeat the dynamic. We had had a couple of people take him in that were parents of his friends. And we would say, please don't take him in. We're trying to let him reach a consequence to where he wants to go into treatment. But they would say, he's not on anything. You're mean parents. How could you accuse your son of being on anything? And yeah. He was on the brink of death. And finally they would get burned or they would something truth would come out. But we battled the same dynamic because he knew how to manipulate from the situation with her. It was just a pattern. It was pathological. Right. Our unity forced him to the truth. Our unity rose to the occasion every time that deception rose. Right. And you know, it's it's um it's interesting that you say when you when you say, you know, people have asked you, well, how could you keep your son around your um your mother-in-law or your mom. Um, but I, I see something different because um, Trevor and I actually moved away from our family really far away. So um, we ended up moving across. The the yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, we moved to like Colorado. Uh, we were in Texas. So us being away from both of our families for so long, we had to rely on each other. And they were not in the right they were not in the middle of us raising our kids um we had to come up with our own values our own our own system of how we were going to raise the kids and i think that um i think that uh, if we had stayed i think the same thing that happened to you would have happened to us that family would have been more a part of um, there would have been more meddling, maybe some manipulation, maybe, you know, certainly I didn't have a character like your mother. I had my, to be honest with you, I did have someone that was similar. We've, we've talked about that a little bit, but um, not to that level. But um, I think because even, even when we moved back to the New England area, we weren't close close to our families, physically close. So they weren't in our everyday life, um, right? And then when, um, and, but I can definitely see how that would happen to us too, that, you know, that we could be in a similar situation because you're kind of like in the middle of it. I mean, what, you, you can't think your way out of it. And, and you are, when you're young and you get married like that and you, you are, in some ways dependent on extended family, right? And, um, and I think that um, we have kind of 
stayed divided from our extended family when it comes to um, to dealing with this issue, dealing with substance use. That really, I've kind of put up barriers because all they, all I find extended family do is they get really curious and they want to interject and give me their opinion. And I, and in my head, I'm like, you don't know anything. You have absolutely no clue. You haven't been here for any of this. And Trevor and I are, we're on our own. Well, one thing that I think um, some of the nasty dynamics when you have the division in families that are kind of like that is they will use confusion. And there were, there would be times that sometimes he would call my mother and try to talk sense to her and she would tell him something I, that she would make up something I'd said about him. So then he was like, really? So then he'd call me and it was like she could step into a situation and 10 tornadoes of confusion took off right. and we were distracted from the situation and the truth and everybody was off and running. So we right. just really made a pact with each other. Number one, we do not demonize each other and nothing you say will be held against you, nothing. If you make a mistake and we argue and you've dropped the ball, that's okay, get up, do the next right thing. We are right. not making this an enemy situation. We can only resolve this with peace, unity and truth. We've gotta stay humble. This can't be about us having conflict. We gotta get conflict over quick and we have an urgent, urgent need to be on board with each other. Right. How do you feel about this, Trev? I, I, I think that um, one thing that you said I, I kind of really um, clicked with me is just, I think that our, our source of division was really the mental illness component. I think that was really um, the part that uh, I had, a, 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 I guess, more of a challenge in understanding and and being convinced of what the kind of the right next steps were with the um, with the addiction i don't think it was that i think we were we were on the same page a lot earlier and, and a lot stronger um you know um but i think the kind of the mental illness part was always and it continues to um to creep in um and be part of the situation, even when the addiction is there, of course. But um, so I think that continued to kind of be the source of the division, I think, on the most for the most part. Um, one, one thing that you said about them just kind of finding ways and the manipulation getting into the cracks. Um, one thing I was thinking about is people would say, you know, how can somebody kind of be so self-destructive? and behave in such a way that it's so self-destructive. Um, and I guess one day I was looking at it and I'm like, well, they're, you know, they're really not being self-destructive. They're actually being, um, they're surviving, right? They're, what's kicking in is really strong survival skills here. And they're finding every, every possible way that they can continue on and survive and, and um, carry on that lifestyle. So it's, it's kind of, from their perspective, they're doing a great job of surviving. Um, but from somebody kind of healthy looking in from the outside, it looks like you're just being so self-destructive. So I think it's kind of a little ironic, you know, when you kind of look at the two perspectives sometimes. Um, but hey, yeah, that's- Division is division is division. It doesn't matter. Elliot has a stepmom, and I don't know what their conversations were like in private. That was another thing is that we were very respectful of each other. He didn't, my ex-husband did not tell me if she ever 
came to him with nasty opinions. And if he and I were having it out, she stayed out of it. And if he and her were having it out, I stayed out of it. I wasn't looking to make his life more difficult or ruin his relationship with his wife or his family or my son. We kept the division out. And it really doesn't serve anybody any good, whether a child's little, whether they're addicted or not. Division, I'm sorry, I dropped his phone. Division is division. And if you're causing it, if you're furthering it, you really have to come to a place of peace and truth and compromise. And that sometimes means putting your differences aside and yeah. getting on the same page. It's really not that hard, especially when it's the well-being of a child. Whether right. you're little and you're, you're disagreeing because you have hurt feelings or you're disagreeing because they're manipulating you, you really, it's urgent to get rid of that division. And if we right. can do it, trust me, because I wanted to wring his neck by the time that ink was on our divorce papers. We sat down, after, we had you know a couple of years of, of conflict and then we sat down one day and I can't remember how long it was for, about four hours. And we were like, we were at a point in our divorce and I know it happens to a lot of people where if I would call him and say, you forgot his backpack, we would immediately go into, well, you're this, that, and the other, and it would escalate into a conflict from forever ago. Every issue triggered a conflict. So we sat down one day for about four hours and we went back and forth. Well, you did this. Well, I was disappointed by this in the marriage. Well, this and that happened. And you let me down here. Well, I was an idiot. I'm sorry. And then we got up from that conversation and said, these things will not come up again. And if they do, they're not going to be a part of our present. It's, we're, we're in the wrong to bring them up again. We are going forward. And we put all of that to bed. And our relationship wasn't about the past anymore. It was about this kid having a fighting chance since we both came from so much division and deception and disappointment and dysfunction, we're gonna give this kid a fighting chance after all these years and heartache, everything we've been together, he's going to have a, us as a family. He, he, we're still both his family. We're gonna act like a family. So if we can make peace and do that, because it could have gone and it could have gone nasty, wouldn't you agree? No, absolutely. It could have. Yeah, um... As you said, for a while it did. If, if you would have asked me at the time we were, we were you know, going through our, our divorce, if we ever got to the point where we could have been civil again, I, I would have been hard-pressed to, uh, to give any hope to that. But, you know, then really cooler heads prevailed, and, and we did sit down and, and kind of came up with this. Um, you know, it started as a truth, I think, but then it, it really evolved into much more. I mean, even to this day, uh, you know, Elliot's an adult now, but uh, Annie and I, you know, I still consider her family. Right. And so it's, you know, really uh, developed into something helpful. Um, and, and, you know, it's listening to you guys and what you've gone through, it's, it kind of made me see a, a different scenario that I hadn't thought of before. You didn't have the, the horrible negative influences, but, you know, even good intending positive influences, uh, can cause the same kind of division, it seems. Oh, yes. Yes, absolutely. I think it's, I think it's naturally there, right? There's always some, it's always there to some level, just because people are different. Yeah. And we didn't have... I feel like I was probably a lot like Trevor, because um, <laughs> at first I was a consequences guy. No, he's got to be punished. He's got, he has to be punished. No, he has to feel this. But it, on the inside, I was really, uh, you know, I, I didn't want to see it. I still see my baby there. And when I would call 
Annie's mother to speak to her. You know, I'm, I'm wanting to try to reason and bring logic and peace into this. What I do, I know before I even pick up the phone and make the call, it's going to happen because it's happened 10,000 times before. I'm going to call her and I'm going to get spun and she will never see an ounce of logic. Right? And sometimes he would get so burnt, she would hand him his dignity. She would, <laughs> we would always say, I would, I would really challenge any prosecuting attorney, attorney to argue with this woman, he will resign. Because she will argue you left and right and up and down. And before you know it, you're defending yourself and feeling like the biggest loser. Right. And sometimes he would call me and say, I don't know how she did it. She did it to me again. Yeah. And he would say, I was on the phone with her for three hours. I was like, why? <laughs> Right. Oh, I would call. I would call to, uh, you know, discuss why she allowed Elliot to get drunk at, at 12 years old and pass out in the middle of the street and then hide it from us and wind up thinking I was the culprit on the grassy knoll. <laughs> well, he wasn't 12, but she did one time provide alcohol. Uh, yeah, no, I'm sorry, I was exaggerating. Right. She he, she did one time. We found out she provided alcohol for he and his friends and let them drink there and experiment in her home. And when we confronted her, she had every response from, well, he was safer in my home. Well, he talked me into it. Well, he argued with me for three hours and, and we're like, but you're the adult. So, I mean, these were the arguments and that's the insanity, the insidiousness yeah. and the wickedness that comes from SUD and mental illness. When they're combined, the deception goes so deep, you can't break through. Right. And she hid it from us because we would have handled it wrong, in her opinion. Right. Right. So that's what we dealt with when, she, when he was addicted. So that was the division. That's why we couldn't have any cracks. So thank right. goodness. Um, it, it almost made me like him again because he would have my back. And, you know, when I would have a family challenging the truth or my mom coming against me, he would always say, no, she's in the right. And even then when our son, you know, sometimes somebody, um, an, an addicted person or somebody with SUD will create a villain and they can make counselors think they're abused or they can make people that take them in think that they're down on their luck because their family's so awful. And my son would spin that on us. And he would say, my dad's so vicious and my dad's really the addict. Or he would say, my mom's neurotic and crazy and strict and people would believe it. And here comes this ex-husband who would say, no, she's not, I stand behind her. Or I could say, that's not the truth about my ex-husband. And that unity gave so much credibility and support. It was vital because that manipulation will use your flaws, your insecurities, your past mistakes. You'll have it thrown in your face that you're the worst mother, worst father. You've caused the addiction. Everything's your fault. You're really the addict. <laughs> what, what amazes me, um, because I remember read, when I read your book, I, I, I uh, read, I remember that section in particular about um, how he would do that. He would go to these uh, treatment facilities and talk to everybody and convince them of this, you know, that there was some form of abuse going on in your house. And um, I remember thinking, I don't understand how the treatment facility could possibly, how anybody who deals with someone suffering with SUD couldn't logically think that this could be a story. Right. Well, right. well that, they have to be skilled in manipulation. And the one he ended up in was skilled. And the one he manipulated, it was just the one treatment center. It was a counselor. Um, they eventually were on to him because truth comes out and somebody exposes their hand when they're manipulating truth. Right. It was right. just one counselor that he had convinced I was strict. And when I walked in, that was the woman who 
was rubbing his hand and calling him baby and saying, you're, it's okay, you're safe with me here. And he's twice my size. And I'm so transparent that, I mean, I couldn't wring his neck if I wanted to, but I would announce it a long time before I'd even try it. So, right. I mean, we would, he, he had signed some notarized statement that he'd never been abused or mistreated. And we would always say, the problem is, he probably should have been handled a little rougher. But he's very charming and convincing. And it's not even just personal to him. I know a therapist that told me his family put him in a, a treatment center when he was a freshman in high school. And he convinced, he's a therapist now, but when he, he was a troubled youth, he convinced them that he had reoccurring memories of abuse. And by the time his parents came in, the therapist there was dealing with the parents on their issues of abusing their son. So the truth eventually had to come out. And I know that that's happened. I've talked to police officers and firefighters who say we'll show up on a scene and somebody will say well she's hitting me and she and you know the wife will say well he abuses me and you don't know who's telling the truth yeah manipulation is so wicked yeah yep yep i i and i do have to say we never we never had to deal with that we did deal with um uh, i think um tommy didn't didn't do that kind of thing. He did think that I was like an authoritarian parent. He genuinely believed that. But I think that that is because he never had, like he doesn't actually understand how not an authoritarian, like that's all he, I, that's all he ever had was me. That's his perspective, yeah. Yeah. I think they're just going to criticize anything they can to get to to deflect because that's what the disease does. And I had actually heard Steve-O from the show Jackass one time talk about how he wrote out a resentment list. And he actually went to his dad and said, you know, the problem is you've been married to the same woman for 25 years. He was uh, saying he was affected by that. And his dad's response was, you mean your mom? You mean you're going to actually use against us that we have a healthy marriage that lasted? Like you're now using this? And he said it was preposterous, but it was typical diseased thinking because I will blame whatever I can to get the heat off me because this disease needs to live. Right. Although I I do think, because I think my... My son's a little bit different, and I know he, he, he absolutely did the manipulation thing. But when it comes to this, I, I think he's become more aware now that he's like, oh, I, I was wrong. She was not as strict as I thought she was. It's just that he didn't have another mother to, to compare it to. He didn't have, um, and so he just thought I was. I don't know if that makes sense. Well, the thing is, I could—I used to always say, if anybody had a reason to blame their life on somebody, it could be me. And I've done nothing but take the yeah. reins of my life and blame no one for it. I've been very gracious for the areas I was let down and clearly not taken care of and clearly set up to fail. But right. I took the reins of my own life and I found the information. I found the education. I found my way forward. So if anybody can blame their life on anybody, it should have been me. It could have been my ex-husband. So the fact is, at some point, you have to take the blame for your own life. And if you're acting in unethical ways, your mistakes aren't my fault. Right. Right. But that's where manipulation gets in. The difference is is that you had to, um, in all honesty. Uh, A lot of people didn't see that side of Annie when she was younger. I know, you know, we went to school together. And I wouldn't have had a clue that it was like that. And for some reason, uh, you know, when we got older, she had allowed me into her 
uh, inner circle, and and I, you know, quickly saw what was going on, and it seemed like uh, her her father and you know her brothers and sister they were, you know, they were good in her life. They you know they had their moments obviously, but uh, yeah, she was the the scapegoat. Uh, literally, the Israelites would put the sins of their of their tribe on a goat to send it in the mountains to die. Symbolically, uh, that is where the term scapegoat came from, and that's exactly what they did to Annie. And uh, especially her mother, my my goodness, everything got blamed on her. Uh, you know, if they didn't have enough money to pay a light bill, it was because she did something. You know, she needed medicine for years ago that led to this point or something. It was uh, it was really that bad. That might sound exaggerated or ludicrous, but it really isn't. It was that bad. Although I I, I um. I do think, I think that um, you're right, Annie, that, that you have to take control of your life. You, you can't blame other things. Um, but I also think that, um, I also think that there are people who are, um, there's just a characteristic about them or um, something inside of them that they're just able to do that. Because I, um, because I think that had it been somebody else put in that situation, possibly things would have been different, right? That it's that it's some part of the makeup of of Annie Highwater who's able to overcome that, right? Possibly there is a little bit of a spark and a fiery fighter down in there, but a lot of times it was uh, it was just out of necessity, and I wanted so to be well. And I wanted so to not be like what the deception and the dysfunction that I came from. That's why I spent so much time in libraries. And I remember um, a therapist had told me, you're like a prodigy because I'll tell you these things that you need to apply or work on and you immediately do it. And nobody does that. They come in here and it takes them over and over and over or they just want comforted in their mess and they don't do anything to change it. And I would say, but it doesn't occur to me to not apply truth and logic because I want to be well. Right, but you know, uh so um, I, I understand what you're, I do understand what you're talking about because I think that when I first started going to my, uh, my uh, meetings, right? I told you I was doing my 30 steps in 30 days. Um, I think inside of me, I knew I had to get better and I was going to do whatever it took for me to get better. And I remember, um, over time, I remember being at a meeting and I said something to the effect of um, not understanding what it meant. You know how you'll hear in meetings, you can choose to get better, right? You can choose this. So you can, you can um, take steps to get better and you can choose to be better and you will be better. And someone else said to me, um, I had said, you can choose to be happy. And someone said to me in the meeting, you have to be careful when you say that. And I didn't understand, I didn't understand until I walked away from her. What she meant was some people have depression and can't choose like you can to be better. Right. And so that's, that I think is my point is there's something, there is something with inside of Annie Highwater, right. That, um, that, drives you to get better, to be better, you, to, to make you not want to be there um, in that situation. 
Does that make sense? It does. You made the choice to pursue it anyway. Right. Right. It's just being content to be, to, you know, to be miserable and sick. And it seems like I, I do see that in some people. That's what I came from, actually. Uh, my background with my family story. I, I, and it, I always kind of put it to this one. I uh, went into the Army. I was in basic training. And it's not quite like you see in the movies. It's, um, you know, you can you could get out there and phone it in and, and cheat and, and PT and, and whatnot. But I always took the attitude of, uh, you know, I'm here anyway. So I'm going to choose to, to give it my best and be the best that I can be. And uh, and then I had other people around me that were happy and and uh, you know, took took excitement that they could get away without doing what they were supposed to do. And and that's always kind of how I saw my thing. Like my side, where I came from was um, a lot of self pity. It was uh, you know a whole life formed out of self pity. Really. So yeah, I know exactly what you're saying. Uh, people that have true depression. It, Right. Um, I just want to recap by saying I have a quote by Yelena Van Zandt and she did a lot of work out of the same source of dysfunction that I have come from. And, you know, I've said I, I could have had it worse. There wasn't sexual or physical abuse. And, you know, my son is in recovery. There's always something to be grateful for. But family nastiness is nastiness and division is division. And she had said a family is supposed to be our safe haven. But very often it's the place where we find the deepest heartache. But I think, you know, we can step up and make the best of that. We can have good boundaries with those that cause us heartache um, with my ex-husband or with a husband you're currently with, whether it's a blended family or an original family. You can take a position of, I, you're in, I don't know it all. I don't want to be a know-it-all, and I don't know it all. And not holding everything against each other, not always having to be right or a right fighter, and making decisions based on logic and loyalty to the truth versus loyalty to feelings or just to a person. I think that blocks division and that in turn blocks manipulation. Well, thank you. Thank you for that, Annie. And uh, thank you, Elliot. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you, Trevor. Thank you so much. Thank you both. Thank you. Well, thank, you. thank you very much for having me. I really enjoyed it. And I hope everybody is just able to do their best. That's all we can do, so. Right. Okay, okay and I guess, um, Next week's topic, I think we're going to head into um, stigma. Yep, that's right. So I'll email you about that. And thanks to our listeners. We hope you got something out of that. Please email us, message us, contact us, let us know future topics or any questions or concerns you have. Thanks so much. Okay. We'll see you next time. Coming up for air. Thank you for listening to this Coming Up for Air podcast with Annie Highwater and Lori McDougall. If you're interested in reading Annie's book, Unhooked, A Mother's Story of Unhitching from the Roller Coaster of Her Son's Addiction, it's available online, or you can simply follow the link at the bottom of one of Annie's blog posts on alliesinrecovery.net. Coming Up for Air is sponsored by Allies in Recovery, the online home for families facing the addiction of a loved one. Allies in Recovery can help you understand your loved one's struggle and offers effective communication strategies that encourage treatment and discourage use. In addition to interactive e-learning, Allies in Recovery offers expert advice, podcasts, tools for evaluating treatment options, recent news items, and access to a large community of families coping with issues similar to yours. Join alliesinrecovery.net today. That's alliesinrecovery, all one word, Thank you for listening. 
Our theme music was performed and composed by cellist Eric Corey.